Welcome to the Colonel of Truth. I'm Colonel Conrad Reynolds. I'm here for another great episode, and I have a special guest with us today. Uh, his name is Dr. Doug Jones, and he's a professor from the University of Iowa. And uh, he is a computer scientist. He's been there for since 1980, and he's probably one of the smartest people for uh, election uh, security in the entire country. And we're really pleased to have Dr. Jones here. Dr. Jones, welcome. Well, hello. And uh, so uh, can you tell us why you're here in Arkansas today? Well, there was a case, a hearing before the court about the permissibility of ballots with barcodes on them. Barcodes, and probably one of the reasons that uh, you're here. Of course, I already know. I already know why he's here because we invited him, but because he's one of the experts, as I said before. And I'm going to hold up his book called "Broken Ballots." We vote count. This is he's the author of this book. It's a scholarly work uh, and it has all types of great information in it. But we wanted him here uh, for the court case that we had today. And um, it didn't turn out quite like we thought. What do you think, <laughs> Dr. Jones? What do you think? Well, when the when the judge makes his decision before he hears any witnesses except for one, you sort of feel disappointed. Yeah, I, I, I kind of felt like today was a big disappointment. Uh, we brought in uh, yourself and Dr. Uh, Philip Stark uh, out of the University of California in Berkeley uh, to be our expert witnesses, and we never even got to you. The judge, I mean, the judge had already made up his mind uh, that um, he was going to say that the current system that we have is good enough and we can appeal to the Supreme Court. Uh, but I would like your opinion on some of the things that you heard today. Could you give our audience just a little a flavor? And we got plenty of time uh, about what you heard and what you saw and what your what your feeling is on that. Well, the only witness who spoke and spoke to both sides uh, was was the, the state state election director, I believe. Yeah, uh, Daniel Schultz. Right, mm -hmm. and he. He gave what I figured, what I concluded was a fairly honest description of the machine as it is. The judge seemed to understand the point being made by the plaintiffs, which is that people have a hard time reading barcodes if we have any hope of reading them at all, and we uh, and, and and then he concluded that under under Arkansas law that was okay. And at the very end, he reached the conclusion, he, at the very end, he seemed to make a ruling from the bench that, that the ballot really doesn't exist until it has been marked by the uh, ballot marking device. And that prior to that, everything that happens prior to that point is not covered really by the law. And that the voter can't read the barcodes on the ballot, but the voter can read the text at the bottom of the ballot. Uh, and that that's enough because even though the machine only counts the barcodes at the top of the ballot and below that you have text that you can read, uh, that it's okay. Apparently the legislature is not requiring that we, uh, that we uh, be able to verify the entire ballot, but only the text at the bottom is good enough. And I think he's left himself open to an appeal there. Right. Well, I, I'm our audience to really understand what our lawsuit was about uh, so that they get a good feel. What, what we were challenging, AVI was challenging, was the use of a barcode uh, it, that, that is actually counted instead of the name that we see on the ballot summary card. And we've talked on this show many times. We had Dr. Appel here, Dr. Dougherty, uh, uh, Philip Stark, and we've talked about that. The fact that the barcode itself is what is being counted, and we cannot read the most nobody that I know uh, Noah can read a barcode so because the machine counts the barcode we are saying in our lawsuit that these machines don't comply with federal or state law which says I have to be able to verify that the person I'm voting for is on the ballot before it's cast and if it's counting something else then and and it's, and it's not counting the name that I'm reading 
and it's counting something else. It could be a barcode. It could be Chinese. It could be Russian, whatever. That doesn't count. And therefore, it shouldn't matter. They don't meet uh, state law. But apparently the judge, the way I got it, uh, simply said, well, yeah, it does. Uh, he he stipulated we can't read barcode, but he was okay with the idea that the barcode was interpreting the the our vote. I think that was what he seems to have said. So the real question for me, and may, I hope maybe you agree, maybe you don't, but I'd like to know. Apparently, uh, the intent of the law that was designed by the state legislature, um, and they're the ones that crafted this law that says you have to be able to verify your vote. Okay, I don't think that they ever intended to have two values on a ballot, and one the one that's counted is the one that we can't read. I agree with your guess, but I can't put myself in the face in, in, in the heads of the legislators at the time. And one thing that bothers me about some of this legislation is that there are consortia that get together and draft legislation that is then introduced in a number of states. Uh, you've got this uh, issue before Arkansas right now about the uh, FOIA, and we're seeing a very similar attempt to restrict FOIA in Iowa. And I think that's coming from out of state in both cases from from legislators who are involved with this consortium that's drafting legislation to try to gut FOIA in a, in a nationwide if they can do it. Well, I don't want to change the subject too much, but I do want to touch on the FOIA thing because it's a big deal in Arkansas today. That's for sure. And in uh, this week, I think the next uh, two to three days, because they're trying to get rid of FOIA and we want full transparency and we're asking for it. And what they're trying to do is is limit transparency. And uh, to me, that's counter to what the at least the Republican Party says it's for uh, and that we're up for, for transparency. We want everybody to see what's going on. There should be no uh, opaque deals going on back back rooms. Um, but, but apparently that's what's going on or why would they want to hide it? And so the FOIA, the FOIA discussion that we're having in Arkansas really impacts every Arkansan. Would you agree with that? Very much. Yeah. And uh, and I have seen that. I think you're right. This consortium, this this these laws seem to come out of snow, nowhere. Right. Uh, but yet they are the same laws in all these different states. So somebody's pushing that. You agree? I, I don't know who it'd be, but somebody's pushing it. I agree, and I'm not a I'm not the political scientist, so that's that's not my not something I know much about. Well, I'd like to ask you something. Well, because you're here talking, you're an expert, uh, but I'd like for people to know a little bit more about you, my listeners here in Arkansas, because we like to uh, uh, let the the guest talk about without you. Know, you go ahead and pat yourself on the back. We, uh, your credentials. Okay. What is it that you bring to the table? What have you done that makes you an expert uh, where somebody else wouldn't be? So. I've been teaching computer science at the University of Iowa since 1980. And in 1994, uh, the Secretary of State in Iowa put out a call for volunteers to serve on the State Board of Examiners for Voting Machines. And because the board had been newly reconstituted, one of the requirements was that one of the examiners for voting machines had to know something about computers because all the new voting machines have computers in them. So I looked at that and I thought that'd be a thankless job. Why would I want to be involved with something like that? But I eventually realized that if no one volunteered, that would be sort of a black eye for the profession. So I volunteered and it turned out I was the only volunteer statewide. So I was appointed and I've, I served for a decade under both Democratic and Republican secretaries of state. And for the first four years, it, five years, it was uh, you know two days a year plus a stack of documentation that would take me a couple weeks to read. But by 2000, I was beginning to get disappointed in the way we were certifying voting machines, and I started complaining publicly. And mm -hmm. on election night 2000, I wrote what would now be considered a blog post, but the word blog was not yet popular. Uh, wrote a blog post saying, you know, as, as chairman of the State Board of, uh, of Examiners for Voting Machines, it's an appropriate time to talk about how our elections work. Uh, 
and how and, and things we might be able to do better in the way we regulate our voting equipment. I didn't know that Florida 2000 was on the eve of happening. And the hanging Chad fiasco. The hanging Chad yeah. fiasco, right. Well, it turns out that wasn't the whole story. And the media never really drilled very far deep into that. Uh, it was so easy to go for the low-hanging fruit of the easy-to-tell story about obsolete punch card voting equipment. But there was a lot more to the Florida story than that. Mm -hmm. I got a phone call two weeks after the election saying, would you please come testify before the uh, United States Commission on Civil Rights and explain what happened in Florida? And they asked, I ended up testifying right after Jeb Bush and correcting the errors that he'd made in his testimony. But he struck me as a pretty smart guy. Um, <laughs> and basically, Elections took over my life at that point. I'd never really understood this business about a calling, but I haven't had any real choice in the matter since then to be involved in elections. Uh, so in the in the years that followed, I got involved in looking at an early draft of the Help America Vote Act. I got involved in working with the Federal Election Commission on the revision of what were then called voting system standards. As the standards process moved to the Election Assistance Commission, which was created by the Help America Vote Act, I started uh, dealing with the Election Assistance Commission. I was eventually appointed to their Technical Guidelines Development Committee that actually drafts the voting system standards. I'm sorry, voluntary voting system guidelines didn't change their role. It's just a matter of changing the name because of the anti-regulation faction that's involved in Congress. So they are standards for all practical purposes. Okay. And uh, I ended up getting a National Science Foundation grant to explore voting system integrity. I did experiments on human factors in voting systems. I've done I've been involved in international election ob observation in Holland and Kazakhstan, uh, which were really interesting. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Uh, so elections have pretty much taken over. I, uh, I did write this book, which has already been plugged, uh, Broken Ballots. We can plug it again. <laughs> you can plug it again because it's a great book. It's a really good yeah. book. If you want to know something about elections. Incidentally, that voting machine on the cover is a photo I took in the head of elections office in Miami-Dade County while Hurricane Charlie was blowing by. Wow. So the green the sky there. in the background is Hurricane Charlie's uh, very humid, very hot, very windy weather. That's why the flag is so unfurled. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's a great. That's uh, that's great. I'm glad that uh, you filled us in on that one. <laughs> well, good deal. Well, you know, I think that you've established the fact that you're an expert. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about HAVA. Help America Vote Act, what your participation is in it, and and talk a little bit about the EAC. Okay. So so we'll be right back. Uh, this is Colonel Conrad Riddles with the Colonel of Truth. We're right here with our special guest, Professor Doug Jones. We'll be right back. Breaking news, Arkansas. This is Colonel Conrad Reynolds, a national security expert, CEO of AVII, and host of the Colonel of Truth. The Searcy County JPs have voted to secure their elections by moving to hand-marked paper ballots. Your county could do this, too. Call your JP today and demand secure elections with paper ballots. Go to AVII.org. Hey there, Arkansas. I'm Carrie Lake from Arizona, and I'm joining your mission to take back America county by county to restore faith in our election process. Arkansas plays a vital role in this mission led by Colonel Conrad Reynolds and the Arkansas Voter Integrity Initiative. By demanding hand-marked paper ballots, we will ensure the integrity of our elections and rid ourselves of non-transparent voting computers. Call your Justice of the Peace and insist on hand-marked paper ballots for your county. To become part of the movement and learn more, go to avii.org. Together, we will take back America county by county. Paid for by the Arkansas Voter Integrity Initiative. Hello, this is Colonel Conrad Reynolds. My friend Mike Lindell is offering huge discounts to the Colonel of Truth listeners. Visit MyPillow.com slash Conrad. Use promo code Conrad, that's C-O-N-R-A-D, for massive discounts on great products like sheets and pillows and slippers and even travel pillows. So visit MyPillow.com slash Conrad. Use promo code Conrad. Your purchase will help support the Colonel of Truth. 
AVII.org is on a mission to take back America county by county by securing our elections and bringing transparency to the voting process. Hi, this is Colonel Conrad Reynolds, host of the Colonel of Truth and the CEO of AVII. I'm asking all patriots to visit AVII.org and donate to our cause. It's time to stand up and defend our great nation. Paid for by AVI Incorporated. Welcome back to the Colonel of Truth. I'm Colonel Conrad Reynolds here with our special guest today, Dr. Well, Professor Doug Jones. And uh, we were just talking about the history about our voting uh, system that we have. How do we get to where we're at today, or at least start to 2000? And uh, Dr. Jones has a unique perspective because he's written about it to talk about what's happened in America. So, Dr. Jones, can you give our audience just kind of a, you know, an overview of our voting process, some of the problems, some of the neat stories that you have in your book up until 2000? Well, you have to go all the way back to the 19th century to find the dawn of using machinery to count votes. The, the original proposals were, were a radical British group called the Chartists, who were proponents of what they called the Working Men's Charter. And, and the Chartists wanted universal suffrage. They wanted every man to be able to vote. And so they proposed reforms. But, you know, letting everyone vote would really mess up the way British had traditionally run their polling places. So they proposed inventing voting machines and they proposed how to run a polling place with the kind of turnout you would expect with universal suffrage. That idea kicked around all the way to Australia and because they demanded a secret ballot, the Australians ended up being the first to really adopt the right of a secret ballot. That is that no one should be able to see how you voted and hold it against you or hold it over your head or reward you for your vote. It should be secret. That idea wandered back to North America in the late 19th century. And by the 1890s, it was a national demand spurred in part by some of the strange election shenanigans. I mean, there were there were people buying buying the votes of presidential electors. In, and I was at Harrison, the vote, Chester Harrison, Chester A. Arthur, that election mm -hmm. uh, was 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 really controversial. And it, there there's evidence that electors were bribed. Uh, that shouldn't happen. Uh, but in any case, by the 1890s, there was this demand for reform. And the reforms took two forms. One of them was the handmarked paper ballot printed at government expense, not printed by the parties, and distributed to voters at polling places where you'd mark your choice and put it in the box. And the other invention from the same time period was, uh, was voting machines. And one of the guys who invented player pianos also invented a voting machine which where votes were recorded on a player piano roll and then mechanically tabulated using pneumatic mechanisms very much like the, the pumps and tubing and bellows inside a player piano. Mm -hmm. uh, this guy in New York uh, uh, invented the the mechanical lever voting machine where you pull down the levers to vote for your candidates and then you have the great big lever that you do that to open the curtain and also cast your vote. Uh, by the 1920s, those mechanical lever voting machines were used in the majority of America's urban areas and they weren't that much used in small rural jurisdictions because face it, the machines weighed about 750 pounds for the little ones and more like 1,200 pounds for the big ones. Not really transportable. No. <laughs> uh, and uh, Myers was the New Yorker who invented them. The Myers automatic booth, he called it. His thought was that the machine would be permanently installed in the polling place, typically the township hall. And... Uh, they were cumbersome, but the thing is that they were impartial, whereas there was plenty of evidence of partial counting, partial counting in hand counted ballots by the, 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 the game became one of trying to disqualify as many ballots as possible. So mm -hmm. if you were the Republicans, you'd be trying to disqualify Democratic ballots. And if you were Democrats, you'd be trying to disqualify Republican ballots, each of you looking for smaller and smaller technicalities on which you could disqualify it. I mean, so the, the intersection of the X has to be inside the box where you're supposed to mark your vote. If that intersection is just outside the box, that's an invalid vote. 
if it's for your opponent. Whereas if it's for your party, you do everything you can to convince the other guy that, hey, this is an honest vote. So there are stories of 20, 30 percent of the ballots in some jurisdictions being rejected on technicalities like that. Wow. And winners in elections were being, being determined by who you could disqualify, not by who you could vote for. That's why the good government groups of the early 20th century demanded voting machines. Mm -hmm. And they were seen as impartial and they were seen as unhackable. Turns out they weren't unhackable, but it took a while for the crooks to catch on to how to hack a mechanical lever voting machine. There are tricks like breaking off a piece of pencil lead in the gears. By the end of the election, enough votes have been cast to break that pencil lead into dust. The recommended lubricant in the machines was graphite powder, so there was no evidence that a pencil had been broken off there. And meanwhile, that gear had been jammed for the first 20 or 30 voters. Great tricks like that. There were tricks with rubber bands. There were, there were, and and so they weren't as unhackable as people thought. They're so massively physical levers and big levers, and that that gave people a tremendous amount of confidence that I'm not sure was justified. That led in the 1950s onward to to attempts to move back to paper ballots. And two of those attempts in the 1960s were wildly successful. One of them was the Votomatic punch card machine. Mm -hmm. The other one was the fill in the bubble form that comes from educational testing and was applied to both of them came to market in 1965. And so we were voting on bubble forms starting in 65 in some jurisdictions. Uh, and voting on punch cards. Punch cards were really economical, really cheap. And they swept the nation. In the 70s, it was, you know, punch cards were the sign of the computer era. They were modern. Uh, and they are auditable. They are, in principle, voter verifiable. But turns out that verifying what you voted on a punch card was sort of an indirect process. You'd look at the punch. It had a number beside it. You'd look up the number on the face of the Votomatic voting machine and see if it matched the candidate you wanted. That was hard enough to verify that very few people did. And so this idea of voter verifiability, its weakness is already proven. It's in principle, you could do it, but in fact, people didn't. Mm -hmm. But the fill in the bubble ballot was a real winner, remains a winner to this day. Machines can count them, people can audit them. Uh, the, the machine count can be checked. You've got solid physical evidence of what people intended. And hey, when you fill in a bubble, you see the ink flow from your fingers, from your pen, as you're filling in the bubble. It's not going back and proofreading reading later. Anyone who's proofread an English paper in high school knows that proofreading is awful. I can't proofread very well. If I wrote it, I just assume it says what I intended, not what I wrote. And it turns out that applies to ballots. I've done research on this where we found that when we've switched McCain and Obama on a ballot that people had just voted on the year before, and everyone who ran the, who did this experiment was voting on a, on, a, on this candidate list that they'd seen before. If we made the machine cheat and switch McCain and Obama, 30% of the voters didn't miss. And that those are top of the ballot names with huge name recognition at the time that those ballots were counted. Well, I'm going to definitely I want to talk to you about that because that is important. Uh, I'd like to because uh, I think uh, voter intent is probably one of the most important things yeah. that we have to get right in, in elections. And so uh, but I know you're not finished, but we've only got like 20 some seconds. So let's go ahead and go to a break and then we'll come back. And I want you to finish up a little bit how we got to uh, 2020 or to the year 2000. But also I want to talk about uh, this this process you just talked about, the election uh, and and what you did. I think that's really interesting. I'm Colonel Conrad Reynolds with my special guest, Professor Doug Jones. We'll be right back. Thank you. Breaking news, Arkansas. This is Colonel Conrad Reynolds, a national security expert, CEO of AVII, and host of The Colonel of Truth. The Searcy County JPs have voted to secure their elections by moving to hand-marked paper ballots. Your county could do this, too. Call your JP today and demand secure elections with paper ballots. Go to AVII.org. Hey there, Arkansas. I'm Carrie Lake from Arizona, and I'm joining your mission to take back America county by county to restore faith in our election process. Arkansas plays a vital role 
role in this mission led by Colonel Conrad Reynolds and the Arkansas Voter Integrity Initiative. By demanding hand-marked paper ballots, we will ensure the integrity of our elections and rid ourselves of non-transparent voting computers. Call your Justice of the Peace and insist on hand-marked paper ballots for your county. To become part of the movement and learn more, go to avii.org. Together, we will take back America county by county. Paid for by the Arkansas Voter Integrity Initiative. Hello, this is Colonel Conrad Reynolds. My friend Mike Lindell is offering huge discounts to the Colonel of Truth listeners. Visit MyPillow.com slash Conrad. Use promo code Conrad, that's C-O-N-R-A-D, for massive discounts on great products like sheets and pillows and slippers and even travel pillows. So visit MyPillow.com slash Conrad. Use promo code Conrad. Your purchase will help support the Colonel of Truth. AVII.org is on a mission to take back America county by county by securing our elections and bringing transparency to the voting process. Hi, this is Colonel Conrad Reynolds, host of the Colonel of Truth and the CEO of AVII. I'm asking all patriots to visit AVII.org and donate to our cause. It's time to stand up and defend our great nation. Paid for by AVI Incorporated. Welcome back to the Colonel of Truth. I'm Colonel Conrad Reynolds, your host. I'm here with my special guest, Professor Doug Jones, computer scientist extraordinaire uh, out of the University of Iowa. Uh, we're so thankful that he's here, but he was just telling us in the last break uh, or the last segment, we were talking about how we got to where we're at today or up to the year 2000 in the new era of machines. And he was telling us some history and you were talking about the punch cards of the 1960s and 70s. Can you start there and bring us all the way up to 2000. Well, okay. So the election 2000 was sort of an exciting election because there was all kinds of chaos breaking out in Florida, which was the state that really decided the outcome. And uh, Palm Beach County and Miami-Dade County were using these punch card ballots. And there was this extraordinary number of votes for Buchanan in Palm Beach County that turned out to correlate almost perfectly with the population you would expect of elderly people with macular degeneration in Palm Beach County because of the difficulty of interpreting what was called the butterfly ballot, where the candidates were lined up like my fingers uh -huh. with, uh, with, with on two faces of the ballot book with a column of holes in the middle where you were making punches and candidates lined up on the two sides offset from each other and people would vote for the fourth candidate down and then they'd count four holes down and it turned out that would put them on the ballot for buchanan if they were trying to vote for al gore uh and you know these old jewish palm beach retirees probably unlikely to have voted for pat buchanan uh but it turns out there was a lot more going around going on in in palm beach county and but politically, the, the news homed in on, on, on the butterfly ballot and the punch cards and the hanging chad. The hanging chad yeah. made, that, <laughs> made that the center of the story. Oh, yeah. And the net result of that was Congress had to do something. And Congress enacted what they called the Help America Vote Act of 2002, which was designed to get rid of all those punch card ballots as quickly as possible in order to eliminate the public outcry against them. My own recommendation to, to, and I spoke to the House Science Committee, I spoke to the US Civil Rights Commission about this. Uh, my own recommendation was, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. These machines are worth replacing, but you don't just rush to replace a known evil with an unknown. You should really investigate the new technology before you commit yourself to it. So what they did, however, the Help America Vote Act was largely predicated on the assumption we all wanted to vote on electronic voting machines, the modern technology. Mm -hmm. And so 
the there was this big rush of sort of a feeding frenzy. Help America Vote Act throws a bushel of money at the marketplace and says, hey, buy new voting machines. About four billion dollars. We're, we're going to have standards for them later. But 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 you've got this money to spend now. Buy, buy. And there was a feeding frenzy. A uh, small voting machine company called uh, uh, iMark Voting Systems didn't have enough money. So iMark became global election systems. They still didn't have enough money. So Diebold bought them a company with big, deep pockets and rushed to market with this machine that iMark had originally designed. Uh, and it turned out to be a sort of a crummy design in some ways. But uh, Diebold Corporation got a black eye from this. Mm -hmm. And uh, but other companies, election systems and software was big enough and stable enough and well enough funded to to ride the wave and sell a lot of direct recording electronic voting machines. And it was cool. Everyone knew they were voting on high tech. Well, some of us weren't so sure about that. Uh, the, the pushback against electronic voting machines, against these purely computerized voting machines, had already begun in the 1980s. Started really with one man at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. I'm sorry, it used to be the National Bureau of Standards. Then it became NIST. Okay. Uh, yes. Roy Saltman, who wrote a scathing report on the way we regulate elections. That led to enacting this system of voting system standards by the Federal Election Commission in, in 1990. And those standards were better than nothing, had a lot of weaknesses in them. Uh, after 2000, we wrote new standards. In, in 1992, I participated as a as a as a as, as a regular gadfly, uh, submitting complaints about things that needed fixing. Many of which were accepted uh, in producing the 2002 revision. The Election Assistance Commission came out with a mild rewrite in in 2005. And that's the one to which the equipment currently being used is still being certified. Attempts to move beyond the 2005 standards have been really difficult. But direct recording electronic voting machines, the pushback against them, particularly from the tech community, uh, rose to a fever pitch in the in the early 2000s. And lots of people in the tech community were saying, this is just wrong. The, the Association for Computing Machinery, which is a big professional society in the computing business, came out with, with, with some statements on this issue. The uh, Elect Electronic Frontier Foundation and various other civil liberties groups that are interested in the intersection of electronics and, and, and society uh, had, had, had came out with strongly worded statements. And then that result over a period of a decade was that the steam slowly came out of the direct recording electronic voting machine move. And we've moved back towards uh, paper and uh, either ballot marking devices to put marks on paper or hand marked paper ballots. And quite frankly, most of the tech community is in agreement that hand-marked paper ballots are what we should be using with enlarged jurisdictions, particularly having machines to help count them to avoid clerical errors and to avoid partisan interference with the count. The old stories from the era of Boss Tweed in New York are, are, mm -hmm. are lovely. There was one election that was reported in the New York Times where the New York Times reporter observed one of Boss Tweed's cronies at a polling place eating ballots he didn't approve of and spitting them out chewed up into a spittoon along with his <laughs> tobacco juice. This is one way to dispose of ballots you don't like, but it turns out that, that the, the late 19th century, it seems that every approach to political corruption you've ever heard of got tried. And in a lot of big city jurisdictions in the early 20th century, there were really corrupt politics. Chicago under Big Bill Thompson, who incidentally was was mayor under both Republican and Democratic auspices. He simply jumped parties when, when one party became unpleasant for him. Uh, but he took his machine with him. Uh, we've had too many of those kind of things going on. And one big puzzle for the political scientists is how did we get from there in the early 20th century to the relatively civil, relatively 
polite politics of the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. We seem to have left that era and become uncivil again. But I wonder how we managed to get where we got in that period. Well, I think we're going to be able to talk about that after the break uh, because I've got a couple of questions. I also want to talk about tabulators. I want to talk about audits uh, as well and how important they are to the electoral process, the system of voting. Um, but listen, we'll be right back. My name is Colonel Conrad Reynolds, and you're with the Colonel of Truth. We'll be right back with our special guest, Professor Doug Jones. Breaking news, Arkansas. This is Colonel Conrad Reynolds, a national security expert, CEO of AVII, and host of the Colonel of Truth. The Searcy County JPs have voted to secure their elections by moving to hand-marked paper ballots. Your county could do this, too. Call your JP today and demand secure elections with paper ballots. Go to AVII.org. Hey there, Arkansas. I'm Carrie Lake from Arizona, and I'm joining your mission to take back America county by county to restore faith in our election process. Arkansas plays a vital role in this mission led by Colonel Conrad Reynolds and the Arkansas Voter Integrity Initiative. By demanding hand-marked paper ballots, we will ensure the integrity of our elections and rid ourselves of non-transparent voting computers. Call your Justice of the Peace and insist on hand-marked paper ballots for your county. To become part of the movement and learn more, go to avii.org. Together, we will take back America county by county. Paid for by the Arkansas Voter Integrity Initiative. Hello, this is Colonel Conrad Reynolds. My friend Mike Lindell is offering huge discounts to the Colonel of Truth listeners. Visit MyPillow.com slash Conrad. Use promo code Conrad, that's C-O-N-R-A-D, for massive discounts on great products like sheets and pillows and slippers and even travel pillows. So visit MyPillow.com slash Conrad. Use promo code Conrad. Your purchase will help support the Colonel of Truth. AVII.org is on a mission to take back America county by county by securing our elections and bringing transparency to the voting process. Hi, this is Colonel Conrad Reynolds, host of the Colonel of Truth and the CEO of AVII. I'm asking all patriots to visit AVII.org and donate to our cause. It's time to stand up and defend our great nation. Paid for by AVI Incorporated. Welcome back to the Colonel of Truth. I'm Colonel Conrad Reynolds, and we're uh, continuing our conversation with our esteemed colleague and friend, Dr. Doug Jones, uh, computer scientist, as I said, extraordinaire out of the University of Iowa. And uh, we were talking about elections and how we got to where we're at today. And we've got this law that was put in 2002 at the federal level called the Help America Vote Act, HAVA for short. Dr. Jones, can you explain to our audience in simplest of terms what that is and how does it impact our elections? So. I think a lot of the congressmen and senators who voted for HAVA thought of it primarily as a way to spend a bunch of money to help the states update their election technology and bring them into the 21st century. HAVA created this pot of money, and then it said that equipment purchased with this pot of money should conform to the, the available voting system standards. And it said, and until we come out with new standards, you should use the Federal Election Commission standards, but that the newly created Election Assistance Commission should take over the standards process and produce what they call voluntary voting system guidelines. And that was to meet anti-regulation uh, politics, calling them guidelines. But the fact is the majority of the states have written conformity into the voting with the voting system guidelines into state law as mandatory. So Arkansas, for example, requires that machines conform to the voluntary voting system guidelines. What's voluntary about that? Uh, there are standards. And mm -hmm. it's not politically acceptable to call them standards, but they're standards. So in any case, the VVSG process, the Voluntary Voting Systems Guidelines process, took a lot more time than anyone expected who passed this law. Most of the money had been spent before any revisions to the Federal Election Commission standards were done. But the standards, even under the Federal Election Commission, required that all new voting equipment be put before a voting system testing laboratory. They used to be called independent testing authorities, but it's really the same idea. The voting system testing laboratories 
run a battery of tests on the machines. They're extremely good at what we call shake and bake tests. The machine should be able to survive being trucked to a polling place, dumped off the back of the truck at the polling place, used for a day in the election, loaded back on the truck, and then trucked to a warehouse and dumped off the back of the truck again at the warehouse without breaking. Gosh, wouldn't it be nice if the machines actually worked when you delivered them to the polling place? And those tests they do, they also, that's the shaking part, dumping off the back of the truck. A lot of warehouses have poor environmental controls, so they do the baking tests. They see how the machines survive being baked and frozen. These are excellent tests, and I'm glad they do them. Without them, we'd be a lot worse off. They also require all of the custom software for the voting equipment to be line by line inspected, although much of that inspection is done with semi-automatic tools these days. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, someone who isn't the programmer, someone who isn't the vendor has read over that code and figured out the uh, and looked at it and found any anomalies they find. And they find anomalies. They, f they report bugs back to the vendor. The vendors fix the bugs and the testing for any new machine. They call it a campaign because it involves all this back and forth. It's like a military campaign, except it's a campaign of the voting system testers on the one hand trying to break and the vendor trying to fix. They also read all the manuals and actually try to use the manuals to run the machines without the vendor helping. And by doing that, they do huge debugging in the manuals. They, they, they find discrepancies between what the manual says and what the machine does. We need this testing. It's something which I think is indispensable. The problem is right now that a lot of election officials use this as cover. They say, well, the machine is approved by the voluntary voting system guidelines. It's certified to meet those guidelines by voting system testing laboratory. And therefore, you we have no reason to complain about this machine. And you shouldn't challenge us on the appropriateness of this machine. And that's where I think people are making a mistake, because the standards put forth by the EAC are not the strongest possible standards. They're better than no standards. I'd rather have machines that meet these standards than that fail to meet them. But we could do better. And we've known that since the, since well, I've known this since the 1990s when I started criticizing the standards. And there's still a lot of holes in the standards. Some of those holes are written in by the legislation. For example, there's a wonderful chunk of the Help America Vote Act on the accuracy of voting machines. And it says voting machines shall be held to the following accuracy standards, where it talks about incredible accuracy requirements. And then it says, as sort of an aside, that the accuracy stand that, 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 that no action of the voter shall be counted against the accuracy standards. So that means the accuracy standards really don't apply to how the voters vote on the machine. They only apply, for example, if you're counting bubbles on, a, on an op optical mark form, they apply to the distinction between a perfectly marked bubble as marked by the vendor to the vendor's specs versus a perfectly unmarked bubble unsullied by fingerprints and smudges and all the things that happen to pieces of paper in the real world. Quite frankly, I think most optical scan machines are pretty good at counting what voters really intend. In the Minnesota statewide gubernatorial recount, they had a tenth of 1% discrepancy rate between statewide how people voted and it's for the Minnesota senatorial recount, statewide between how people voted as counted by the machines and how people voted as counted by human examiners. That's really good. But to have standards that say that, the, that we shall not count any action of the voter against the, against the accuracy standards means that the standards can't take into account how people respond to the ballot. Mm -hmm. The standards have to be in terms of what percentage of the bubble is filled in or other objective standards. And you can't ask what fraction of voters, when presented with this ballot, succeed in expressing their intent? And face it, governments have been designing badly designed, hard to fill out forms since government forms were invented. 
anyone who's done their own taxes knows <laughs> this. I only wish that every single congressman were required to do their own taxes so that they would understand how bad these forms are. Right. Well, I, 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 I hear what you're saying. And I listened to what the judge said today in the court, in the hearing today, and he wouldn't even let you speak. He wouldn't even let you give um, your observation on what's going on with the HAVA and how it impacts our elections, particularly here in Arkansas. When we talk about these um, barcodes uh, and apparently that's part of the approval process or is it not? Does HAVA approve barcodes? I don't think HAVA addresses that. There's the the idea of putting barcodes on ballots like that was invented by Texas Instruments uh, in 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 the uh, it was a patent due to Anno, and Anno was a Belgian working with Texas Instruments. They ended up deploying the system in Belgium first, but then it got picked up in the United States by a guy named Sanford Morgenstein in Chicago, who founded a company called Populex, which came out with a ballot marking device, which is essentially identical to the one that's now being sold by election systems and software and used in Arkansas. And the arguments about barcodes date back to the early 2000s when Sanford Morgenstein and I had a had dinner together and and I said but why not just have the machine read the text on the ballot that that I was able to verify instead of having it read those barcodes and he says I couldn't get off the shelf text recognition software cheap enough and I said well why not? There should be some way to solve this problem so I don't have to read a barcode to know that my vote is being counted correctly. Why ask me to trust your software to use the right barcode? I mean, yes, clever programmers can make errors unlikely, but there are millions of people out there, millions of clerks, millions of election. And actually, we are, we're estimated to have something like 10 million poll workers in any particular election in the United States. With those kind of numbers involved, uh, you get the 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 the, the ten thousand monkeys typing Shakespeare phenomena, <laughs> where honest people making honest mistakes end up causing extraordinary damage, uh, and so anything that some malicious hacker could do by by intent, unfortunately, you'll find that with this number of people involved with security critical jobs in the election some of them can accidentally do things almost as damaging. And this is why we always we talk about hackers. But the fact is, the real threat in elections is, careless, is honest, careless error. And they're mm -hmm. all over the place. I live in the district in the United States that had the closest congressional election in history, uh, I believe, actually. It was really, really close. And the... Democrat and Republican were within a couple hundred votes of each other. In the first count, the uh, Republican was ahead. In the second count, they found some clerical errors, and the Democrat was ahead. In the third count, they found some more clerical errors, and the Republican won by six votes, I think. It was, it was really interesting, but the thing is, close elections expose all the clerical errors. Mm -hmm. And... If, it's a, if, if the election margin is wide, no one notices because they don't make any difference. But when the election is, so, is decided by, by six or 12 votes, uh, every single vote counts and every single clerical error is, is a risk to democracy. Right, right. Well, I know that um, we got about three minutes left, and I was just thinking two things I want to talk about real quickly. One, I'd like for you to take about a minute and a half to explain the importance of audits uh, in the election, uh, because we think audits are really, really important, um, particularly here in Arkansas. And that's what we're pushing for. Uh, and then I want to talk about uh, your thoughts about our ability to appeal uh, the decision by okay. Judge Fox today uh, to the Supreme Court. So take about a minute and a half and talk about okay. uh, audits real quick. So vote counting is an accounting process. You're accounting for ballots. You're accounting for votes. Who would want a banking system where accounting was not subject to audits? Who would want a, 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 a corporate annual reports that were not subject to audits? Accounting, whether it's accounting for votes or for dollars, ought to be subject to audits. It ought to be checkable. There ought to be, there ought to be the possibility of an outside 
agency coming in, looking at the books and, and looking at the evidence and figuring out that what was done was done correctly. And, and election auditing in the modern form was invented in California in 1965 with the dawn of punch card voting and the dawn of optical mark sense voting in California. They've been doing it ever since 1965, 1% after every election get hand counted. And other states have been pushing back. The California audit, we know how to do so much better now, but I mean, Phil Stark particularly has been a major inventor in the audit realm. Right. But nonetheless, we want real audits. And a real audit is one where you don't know what the result should be before you start counting. The, the people doing the audit should be doing an independent count. They should be randomly selecting races. They should be they should be randomly selecting jurisdictions and they should be doing an honest count of those jurisdictions and then compare their results against the against the official counts. And I don't care if the first count was done by by hand or by machine. I want counts to be auditable. Right. Well, we do, too, here in Arkansas, and I think that uh, we're going to continue to push for that um, and as we are going to continue to push for paper ballots all across our state. And so the next 15, 20 seconds, tell me what you think. Do you think we got a good shot? Uh, of appealing this case today to the, to the Arkansas Supreme Court? Well, what I heard in court, I think the judge made a few mistakes, and I think those are the those could be reasonable grounds for appeal. Uh, on the whole, however, I liked his focus on drilling down into the narrow issue and trying to set aside discussions of the voting system standards and discussions of how extensive the testing is, because the issue is not the testing. The issue is not that the issue is, should be a very narrow issue of can you validate, can you verify the ballot you cast after it's been printed by the machine, before it's deposited in the box. Couldn't agree more. I'm, I'm with you 100%. Dr. Jones, thank you for joining uh, us uh, on this 9-11. Uh, I really appreciate you so much coming in and, to our, and, and explaining to our voters exactly what's going on and your vast amount of knowledge. Well, I hope you come back. Okay. Uh, we'd like to talk to you more, particularly about Boss Tweet in New York. I think that's an interesting story. But, okay. but thank you so much, sir. And uh, I'm Colonel Conrad Reynolds with the Colonel of Truth. Uh, we're saying thank you so much, our Professor Doug Jones, and uh, we'll be back for next week for another episode. Thank you. This is Colonel Conrad Reynolds. Bye.